so uh good morning good afternoon and good evening my name is Ritwik and I would like to welcome everyone to Crownbreakers Transforming Geotech a new podcast to inspire individuals about the new cutting-edge technologies in civil engineering and how we can use them in geotechnical engineering today is our first podcast and I would like to welcome Sebastian a geotech guru in our field it's our honor to have you here today and I would like you to quickly introduce yourself briefly. All right, excellent. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for having me here. It's 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 awesome to to be able to connect like this and and do this. Uh, yes. So my name is Sebastian Lobo Guerrero. I'm originally from Bogota, Colombia, and today I'm wearing actually a Colombia shirt because we're playing the the women's soccer World Cup, and we won against Germany yesterday, two one. So we're very proud right now. So I was born and raised in Colombia. I did my undergrad there, then. About 22 years ago, I had the opportunity to come to the University of Pittsburgh here in Pennsylvania in the United States, uh, and I came and did my master's and PhD. And then after that, uh, once I graduated, I started working in consulting industry. So I, I work on the last 18 years. I've been working in, in, in consulting industry for transportation for geotech services. So basically what I specialize on doing is design of foundations, you know, for bridge structures, um, you know, it could be shallow foundations, it could be deep foundations, it could be, you know, ground improvement, any kind of, of, of foundation work that it could be related. And also air retainer instructors, we do a lot of design of air retainer instructors, all kind of cut walls, field walls, you know, solid pattern lagging, MSC walls, GRS, T walls, gravity walls, any kind of air retention instructor. And then probably one of my favorite aspects, which is landslide stabilization. So we do landslide stabilization, Again, mostly for DOT related to highways and things like that. Um, and yeah, that, that's kind of a, on a nutshell. We also do a lot of work that is not DOT related, no transportation related. Uh, but really our big market, it's on, on transportation. But the other kind of work that you do is, you know, different agencies. We work a lot with water agencies, wastewater agencies for doing tanks and regular water agencies too, also doing potable water tanks pipeline installation. Uh, we also do oil and gas a little bit. Uh, so yeah, so that, that's kind of our our main market uh, where we are. And yeah, and then besides that, I also teach at the University of Pittsburgh. I, I've been back now a couple of years teaching on the graduate program and, and it's awesome. It's awesome to be a, an adjunct professor and have the opportunity to reconnect back to the same institution where I, where I studied before, right? So Yes. Uh, yes. And then besides that, I do a lot of other stuff on professional societies. I love doing work with professional societies, ASE, the Foundation Institute. Uh, actually, all of them are here on this logo that I have right there. Mm. So we do IFC next year in Dallas, and we have DFI, Geo Institute, ASE, ADCS, the Pile Driving Contractor Association. So all my favorite bands put together in one place. Yep, so, yeah, that's an that, awesome background there. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yes. So we have a lot of experience, 18 years of experience in geotech, especially landslides, mm -hmm. a professor who loves teaching. And also, yeah, I've seen a lot of your LinkedIn posts with your conferences and your speeches. So I think everyone's Thank going you. to talk a lot today. So you talked about you being in America for now 22, 18 years with ages and 22 years and 22 years experience in geotechnical engineering, how it's changed, how it's evolved, any yeah. fascinating <laughs> things that have excited you? Yes, yes, yes. Now this is, this is great. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, there has been, it's exciting to be in geotech engineering because 
it's a it's a field that keeps changing, right? And it's a field that keeps evolving. And and to me now, I mean, obviously, keep keeping my my career. Let's say if I count from the moment that I came here to the US 22 years ago, it's small compared to many of my colleagues that have 40 years, right? 50 years. Uh, but even even if 20 plus years is it, it's still considered a discrete amount, it's a lot of changes, right? In many aspects. So the ones that probably have impacted the most is it's software, right? Like we have a whole a ton on software. Uh, I mean, when I start doing let's say for in slope stability, when I start working with slope stability, we used to have previous versions of great programs, right? That for example, PC stable, yeah, developed at Purdue University. Um, we used to have, you know, the beginning of WS Lope, I think Rock Science was starting. That software has taken on a steroids right now, right? I mean, you have Rock Science, for example, being an amazing company that now produces so many packages and, and so many things. The cost of the software has also come up a lot. The initial packages that we have were free, especially if you're in Colombia with copyright didn't even existed at that time. <laughs> so, you know, we used to have these free programs, right? Or not free because, you know, they were not supposed to be free. But yeah, but I mean, the software was extremely affordable. I mean, you could buy a program, a license for like, not even a license. It was just a CD for like $1,500 and you could use it for 10 years. Now it's different, but it's a whole different game. I mean, I'll give you that the, the software also evolves. The capabilities are great. They're completely integrated, right? You don't have... We used to have like separate CDs for every program. Uh, then the software started having like these keys, right? So you have like a USB key that you yeah. have to put on your computer, right? Uh, before that was a printer key that you used to put on the printer at the back of the... Wow. Uh, so we start having all these keys. And then at some point in the company, I used to have all the keys. I manage all the keys and I have a box, any program that you wanted to use. And then it's plenty of programs and you come and take the key. That evolved, right? Then all start integrating. Then we have network licenses and 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 obviously the versions now evolve every couple of months. You don't even have to do the updates. You just pay like annual subscriptions. And and the same thing when you talk like final element, plexis, and it, it, it's exciting. I mean, it's exciting to see how that evolves and how many, you know, how the tools that we have allow us to do a lot more. I mean, yeah. with all that, I'm, and don't take me wrong, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of, of numerical modeling, but I'm also a big fan of basic physics yeah. and basic understanding of things, right? So even though we have a lot of computational capability, we never have to get too away from doing a simple free body diagram and some yeah. summatory of moments, summatory of forces on X and Y. Uh, but it's good. I mean, the more tools that we have, the better, right? And and we just need to be careful on how we use them. So that, yeah. that has been extremely exciting. And... And I guess the other part that has been extremely exciting is what we were discussing the other day with a couple of beers here in Pittsburgh, right? Which is the changes on on the instrumentation, because I think that to me has been remarkable. I mean, instrumentation is something, and I know that's the market that you that you guys are. Uh, yeah. That has been a, a game changer. I mean, when I started my career, instrumentation was something that was probably seen as a luxury that you could have. It was yeah. also very, very associated with research, right? So it, it may have been that you have instrumentation because this is a research project that is yeah. being done with an academic institution, with something like that. Uh, and then it started becoming something that is not, right? And it also is not a commodity anymore. I mean, it's not like I have a very rich owner on, on some project and I'm yeah. just going to use it. I mean, I think the value of instrumentation started becoming more clear, right? And and in reality, it's completely connected to what should be, right? I mean, Terzaghi and, and Peck, when they invented the observational method, mm -hmm. it's exactly for that, right? I mean, geotech is something that 
you have a few variables and you try your best to estimate those variables, but you are never, because the nature of what it is, right? This is not a structural design. This is not concrete and steel that we know the properties perfectly, right? You are, you are kind of inferring geology and you're inferring geotechnical modeling with couple borings, right? And, and each boring has a sample that is this size, right? And it just gives you SPT if you're lucky, CPT, and that's yeah. it. And then you have borings spread, you know, hundreds of feet away. So obviously it's uh, it's very unknown and we try our best to reduce that risk and reduce that unknown and provide something that is a realistic solution, right? Well, instrumentation brings all this together because it basically, it allows you to, to see how things are behaving as yeah. you construct, right? And, yeah. and as you construct, and then you can adapt things, right? And it also allows you to monitor very well uh, even after the construction and yeah. even before. So, so just to give you examples, when 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 I started my career, we used to do, I mean, inclinometers, right? Inclinometers yeah. have existed for a while. So, I mean, I'm not that old that I saw inclinometers being invented, <laughs> right? Yeah. They're pretty uh, big now. Exactly. So they, they were around, but inclinometers were always a pain, right? Because we have, you know, you have to go and drill the hole and you put the casing yeah. and you grab the casing. And then you, you, you know, we have what we used to call a torpedo, which is one of these probably have some on my office. So <laughs> it is basically this sensor that goes down, right? And then you used to go down and record, right? And then go up and then rotate it and then go yeah. down and come back, right? Uh, and then you have like the A axis and the V axis and all that. It's easy to explain it. Yeah. It's a pain to do it. And, and mm-hmm. anyone that have to walk a hill with the cable of, of the sensor in, on their shoulder, right? On, on his or yeah. her shoulder, go up and go and do that this way, that way. And a, B, and all that. And then at the end of the day, what? You have nothing. I mean, you basically have a lot of data recorded, yeah. but you don't even know how it looks. Yeah. You have to go back to the office, get all the sweat out of your of your forehead, go back, drive, go to the office probably the following day, and then start downloading all that information, right? Yeah. And then start making sense and processing. So the first change that I saw is when the in-place inclinometer came, right? Yeah. And, and you know, obviously there is plenty of great companies that start doing them, you know, using accelerometers and things like that. And now it's like, wait a minute. So I don't have to go and put that thing up, down and all that, right? <laughs> it's all automatic for me. I just need to go and retrieve the data from a data logger. So that was a very cool change. And then obviously it's exponential growth, right? So then it's yeah. like, no, you don't even have to go, right? Because now you can have these data acquisition systems and then you can have a modem and a connection to the internet and you can transmit these to the office. So that that's great, right? And, and even at the beginning, you know, so I, I started doing this like with in place in kilometers probably around 2010, 2011, like 13 years wow. ago. And it was pretty cool, but it still demanded a lot from me in the sense that I'm not doing physical work. And by the way, I don't look like a guy that is built for physical work. I mean, when you <laughs> yeah. save my arms, it's like, <laughs> I'm a great oh, geotech. God in mind, you know, and I'll walk every hill, but I'm not that good carrying stuff, right? And carrying rolls of cable. So, you know, when I took that physical aspect that I was happy, I mean, I'll I'll climb any hill, I climb any (laughs) mountain, love the others, but I do not enjoy carrying all that stuff. So then it went into, okay, now we have the data, it's transmitted to the office, but you still need the software to interpret, right? And, and, And keep in mind, I mean, some people, I mean, I love the results of instrumentation. I do not, I mean, I'm not extremely passionate about the processing of the, what I'm saying is I'm a geotech engineer and what I want to see is where is my failure plane? What is the depth to my failure surface? What is the rate of movement? That's what excites me, right? And and 
That's what I want to see. Now, processing thousands of data points into a plot, that to me is something that I have to do in order to get an answer, but that's not my passion, right? Yeah. So initially, when we start having the, the first in place in kilometers, it was still like that. We still have to process the information to get the answers. And there is great software like Campbell Scientific that we used to use. It definitely makes your life easier, but it still involves a lot of your time doing that, right? But then it went to the next step, which is kind of like, you know, what you guys and and I would like to say some of your competitors do, just to yeah. sound a little more center. But I don't even know if your competitors do that, right? Maybe some of them do. So, all right. So, which is basically now it's like a full service thing, right? And and the last, I don't know, since probably the last five, six years, all the instrumentation that I do is we obviously, you know, help installing it and 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 we have a driller that goes and help installing this and, and we provide support when the instruments are putting loaded, they're in place in kilometers and, and the sensors and all that, and then the connection and making sure that it has. But now things don't even go to me for processing, right? Now it's basically, it goes straight into, into a website and then the website already, you know, takes the information and preparing away and plots that the only thing that I need to do is I get a, a login and I just enter the website and I can see the results. And, yeah. and that to me is awesome because that's really what I want, right? I mean, before it's something that I needed to do in order to get to the results to do a geotech design. Now it's all, basically it's it's there. It costs a lot of time. Um, it also, let's say for the owners that I work with, right? Let's say if I'm doing DOT work, this is also gives the option that a lot of the projects don't necessarily need to be, so let, let me put it this way. I fix problems, right? That's what I love to do. So if you have a landslide, I'm the guy that goes and does the subsurface investigation and fix it, right? I mean, I design, are we going to do anchors? Are we going to do a retaining wall? What are we going to do, right? Uh, but sometimes projects are not at that stage yet. Sometimes yeah. projects are just starting to move. Landslides are just starting to move. And you probably just want to see what is the behavior and you probably just want to monitor it, right? Yeah. It may not be at a level that you have to take action yet. So for some owners, and I, I may write out of the business myself, but for some owners, they don't even need me. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't need, they don't need me yet. They may need me just to say, hey, you just need to monitor this for two years. Now, if you want to pay me for two years to look at the data and tell you what you could already see by yourself, I'm fine to do it. I'll take your money, mm -hmm. but, but you can do it yourself, right? You can do it yourself. And, and, and this is the part that sometimes, you know, like I may be cutting my business, but I don't care. I mean, I just want to, I just want people to have the best cost-effective solution they deserve. I will never treat a client as I'm looking for my interest, my personal interest before their personal interest, right? Yeah. So that is the other part that this has been great. We we actually have been working with, with DOTs that we said, hey, you don't really need us right now. Why don't you just talk with the instrumentation company directly and yeah. you guys start monitoring this, right? And, and if in a couple of years, once you have a lot of data and you see that it's something of concern, uh, then we can get in, involved on this, right? So, so that, that has been great because not only the instruments change, the way that we process the information change, the way that we manage the information change, all these change, but even the business itself change and the players change. So for me, it's, for me, it's fascinating. And, and, and this is just on, on in kilometers, right? I mean, you can make a same argument on how extensometers, for example, have evolved, right? Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and all the great stuff that is being done now with LiDAR, right? And the, the ability that we have to provide maps and contours and things like that and and even monitor movement right i mean who was gonna say 10 years ago 15 years ago that we'll be monitoring landslides with lidar 
know what I'm saying? Just by by putting monuments. I mean, there, there is obviously limitations on things like you do. You, you will never replace an inclinometer with LiDAR in the sense that you just see like the surface movement. You can have yeah. a, a common point and then see how it moves. You really have no idea how deep that failure surface is, but that's still a lot of great information, right? Yeah. And even so, when you understand drones too now, like you can do so much that you never thought you would do. Ex- exactly. Yeah. So that, that is that is super exciting. So yeah, so there is a lot of new things and and it's like reimagining the business. And I always feel yeah. that if you don't catch up with all these things, right? If you don't, if you, if you, if you just keep an attitude of, hey, I know what I what I know and I know enough and I don't care to learn, you are gonna be behind very, very quickly because things yeah. in geotech are moving really fast in, in many of those aspects, right? So yeah, so it, it is exciting to be part of the industry right now, I would say, with all with all these things. So I'm like geospace tech because there's so much tech coming in. Absolutely, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you mentioned like data and how like it's become a lot easier with data coming in on, you know, you know for example, how the inclinometers is measuring lateral movement underground. So how do you think that engineers can utilize this data more and the value of data, especially for bigger projects and even small critical landslides? And do you have any visions of how AI could help in the future? Yes, I think a lot. Yeah, and and, and this is something that I talk a lot with with friends because this kind of takes us, man. This this is a, a funny comparison, but it takes us almost to like the caveman days, right? Yeah. So it, it's all about how in freedom and how in time. So as as we were mentioning before, before instrumentation was ninety percent of the time that using instrumentation was getting the data, right? I mean, it was the the, the complex process that I was saying of going to the field, doing this, gathering the data, coming to the office, interpreting the data, processing the data, doing all that. And finally, after all this, you spend so much time and you finally get your core, right? Yeah. Uh, and then at that point, it's like, ah, oh, okay, my failure plane, it's 15 feet deep and it's moving at this rate, right? Now, you know that instantaneously, right? Now you don't have to spend a single, I mean, Okay, I'm kind of exaggerating, but you don't have to spend that much time. I mean, you will have that access immediately. So now you can, you know, what what you can do is that then you can spend the time on what you really are supposed to spend your time, which is, you know, finding the solutions of things. Let me put it an example. 30 years ago, that was before my time, but 30 years ago, or probably a little more, let's say 40, when you didn't have a slope stability software, every circle has to be analyzed by hand. And, and and the mentors that we have, they always tell us the stories in a geotech design office. They used to say, okay, we're going to analyze this, this slope, right? So we're going to divide the circles. So this guy is going to do five circles. This other person is going to do five other circles. And then they divide it, right? And they spend days analyzing the slope stability. And every person comes with a factor of safety for, for a circle. So it's yeah. like, okay, my circles were 1.3, 1.4. And then you put all together and say, okay, this is our circle, right? So yeah. it took them days to just identify. Now, the way that you do it now is you have a software that in seconds analyze 100,000 circles and tells you the critical. So you don't spend the time on that. What you spend the time now, it's how many fixes I can have, what systems are worth it. I, can I compare a wall versus anchors? Can I do a rock field, right? It gives you the freedom. So that's what I'm saying. It, it compares to like the caveman when, yeah. when, when let's say, or not even caveman, let's say when the industrial revolution came, right? Yeah. And, then, and then you finally have machines doing things. It's like, well, now I can think, right? Yeah. And, and, and if we go back, this is something that 
has been in, in, in civilization forever, like the Greeks, right? When the Greeks started doing philosophy, when philosophy grew, it's because you kind of more or less solve the problem of your basic needs, right? Hmm. And you, you have safety, you have food, you have families. So now I can just think about philosophy, right? So I know it's super extreme comparison, but right now in, in terms of instrumentation, that's what we're saying. Now yeah. we're seeing, okay, the, getting the data is not the, is not difficult anymore. It's fast, it's reliable. What can I do with this? So part is you can use it to monitor, right? You can use it to monitor as confirmation, right? So let's say if if we go into the observational approach by tech by tech and Tersagi, you can say, okay, I'm have a basic understanding of this. I'm gonna try this solution and I'm gonna instrument it and I'm gonna see how it works. And then I'm gonna adapt my design based on the response that I see. And I mean, there is beautiful papers written about this, for example, on slope stabilization. Uh, they start putting anchors, but they didn't know exactly what force on the anchors because there were so many variables. And then they start putting the tension and see how things react and how things move. And then they end up finalizing the design or adding more anchors. I mean, it, like you work on an active project, right? And, and the benefits, yeah. the, the economical benefits that you bring are insane, right? Because instead of doing a, a design that is super redundant, that is absolutely over-designed and overkill. You are going to something that is more realistic and you adapt with safety because you never compromise safety. You you start just seeing how things react and you know you start seeing how things react and then just construct it that way and, and finalize it that way. So that's one excellent way to use it, which I'm a big proponent. Uh, but if for some agencies that is too risky of an approach, that's fine. Then you can just use it as, a, as confirmation, right? You cannot just use it to say, okay, I designed this. This should not deflect more than an inch. I designed this wall, it shouldn't deflect more than an inch. And then I'll just put it and just confirm, right? You can also have it, and I have used it on, on active landslides on that. Let's say that you are monitoring landslides, but you are still not fixing because you don't have the budget to fix it yet. You can just monitor it and then you can put thresholds for alarms, right? If you see that it's accelerating the movement or if you see that certain things are happening, it can immediately just send you a message, right? To your phone or an email to all the stakeholders and say, hey, this is moving. So. We actually have used it during construction. For, for example, we have used instrumentation during construction that we are not really, I mean, it's it's areas that are going to be completely removed. But the only reason that we have it is, so it's more safety during construction. While the equipment is there, we are monitoring to make sure that this temporary slope is not coming down. Yeah. So now it's a thousand possibilities on, on how to use instrumentation with compared to what was before. And that has changed the view because it's not a research project. It's not a commodity. It's not something that is useless. It's something that absolutely make your project better, right? Now, I don't feel that we are able to transmit this to all the owners for the projects that we have. So yeah. I'm not going to lie to you and say that the current state of affairs is that instrumentation is used everywhere where it should be. I think it's taking time. But going back into your original question in, in terms of big projects, yeah, I mean, I think now for big projects, I think now it's understood that you need some way of, of instrumentation, which is a first step, right? Yeah. Uh, I feel I feel that we are ready to have instrumentation even on mid-sized projects. And, and honestly, for the cost that we have, instrumentation, depending what you're looking at instrumentation, but by the affordable cost that is now, you can even have it on a smaller projects. So, yeah. I mean, the, the confirmation that brings, it's, it's, it's absolutely worth it, right? Especially on, you know, infrastructure projects that are dealing with lives, right? Yeah. I mean... The, the the cost benefit ratio it's it's super high on that. Yeah, I feel like the main purpose is providing safety during the project, and 
I agree with you for small projects because of the cost uh, effectiveness now and even the reliability, it's very useful. And yeah, it's now a mature industry. It's not a baby anymore. And like you've mm-hmm. given so many examples and so many ways that people can use instrumentation now. So and the I- reliability. I mean, yeah. before you jump, the other part is reliability, right? It's not only the cost comes down, it's all that, but it's it's a reliable thing. I mean, yeah. I I when when I started, for example, when I started my career and we installed piezometers, right, mm-hmm. to, to monitor excess for water pressure, we used to use a rule of thumb. Basically, if I wanted to monitor it at four locations, yeah. I used to use eight, you know, eight piezometers because the assumption was that half of them were going to malfunction, right? Wow. So obviously the reliability was a big issue and reliability obviously resulted in cost because if I'm telling my client that because of reliability, I need, I need to double the cost of my instruments, well, they are not going to be very open, right? But yeah. we, you know, I mean, you guys, not me, because I'm just the guy using the systems, but you guys keep doing better products and, and you know, cheaper and better that also provides better reliability. And that brings a lot of trust, right? And, and when you have trust on the system, it's a different conversation. Yeah, yeah. Trust is important. All right. Now you can go with the next question. Yeah, I will go now. No, sir, this is more on the geotech side because you brought Pittsburgh up and you were talking about a lot of professors who mentored you and even Mealy brought up a lot of professors who was mentoring him. And then you were talking about books and the equations that we were studying in school, like Casa Grande, Tazaki, were like people who you were talking about. So can you talk a bit more about the history and maybe a few professors or even a few of the people whose equations we studied that inspired you a lot and like what motivated you into geotech? Yes, no, that's, thank you, thank you. That's a great question. Yeah, so we we have the privilege right now that we we live in a time in geotech that when you look the history of geotech is not that old, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if you're looking in the history of, you know, I don't know, mathematics or something, you go back generations and generations. When you go into geotech, uh, Carter Sagi is the inventor of geotech, right? So Carter Sagi, born in, he was born in, in, in Prague, but that time Prague was part of Austria. And then he, you know, he traveled around and he ended up, he came to the States, which is amazing. So he graduated in, in grass. He started, you know, he studied in, in grass, which was considered to be part of Austria at the time. Uh, then he worked in Vienna for a little bit. And then after that, he got his, you know, when he had his undergrad and all that, he came to the States with his own money, right? Because he wanted to see construction of dams. He was obsessed with construction of dams. And he really thought that he was going to learn a lot. So he came to the States and he spent almost two years traveling with his own funds until he absolutely ran out of money. Uh, he even worked as a helper for installation of blasting on the on the Pacific Northwest, trying to get some money. But but anyway, he went back and, and you know, then World War I comes along. He ended up going to, he, he fought on World War I. Then he ended up being sent to, to Turkey, what is today Turkey. And obviously he started with the, the Royal Academy, and then he ended up going to Roberts College, and that's when most people obviously believe it's the beginning of geotech, right? And then he created yeah. consolidation equation and all that. That lab is still there, and everyone can go and visit it. Then he comes back to the U.S. He comes to MIT. He starts the program, um, and then you know he's literally just creating this, right? So he has the equations consolidation, and he's doing. He's he has adapted some stuff. I mean, he took ranking, ranking and Coulomb, which are ranking, I believe, is like the 1800s and Coulomb, I believe, the 1700s and the air pressure distributions. And he kind of adapted those concepts and, and he put all this. 
but he really started getting something going and MIT started becoming kind of the leader on that. So that's his second adventure. And then goes back to Vienna. He finally goes and teaches there as the big professor he was. World War II comes along. He works a little bit. He actually had the chance to meet Hitler. And, you know, and then he see how that is going. So he comes back to the state. So <laughs> he goes back to the U.S., uh, yeah. you know, and there is a beautiful book, fascinating book by Dick Gottman that is called The Engineer as Artist. And, and it's basically that biography. And, and it's all these projects that he does. And the, the amazing part is everything that we're talking, it's not that long ago. It's like 80 years ago, right? I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, my grandfather, your grandfather could have could have met him. So... Yeah. I actually have some of the treasures I have right here. I have first editions of, you know, Terzaghi's Theoretical Soul Mechanics, you know, very famous book that he did. And I also have a first edition of Soul Mechanics in Engineering Practice by him, Casa Grande, eh, sorry, by him, Peck, and well, eventually Mesri ended up getting there, but the original was him and, and Peck. So, yeah, yeah so th there, is, there is this, let's say, older history, right? So you have Casa Grande, you have Peck, you have him. Uh, obviously, if you look in the in the UK, there is also great history, right? It's Kenton, start coming. Uh, I have the chance to meet Ralph Peck. So what, what I'm saying is this is not that far. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so you have that generation, but then you have a second generation, which is the one that we had the chance to work with, right? So, for example, my advisor here that we were talking the, the day, uh, Dr. Yeah. Vallejo, that was, you know, he, he thought the classes that I'm, some of the classes that I'm teaching now for wow. 40 years at the University of Pittsburgh, right? And and yeah. they become, yeah, I mean, they become icons in, in the history. When when you go to, you know, let's say Seed and, and Idris and obviously you coming from, from California and Berkeley and doing just yeah. studies there, I mean, you can still relate to that, right? I mean, you can, which is crazy because we're talking, these are the, 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 the founding figures in our field. And, you know, we still, we didn't have contact maybe with that first generation, but definitely we have a lot of contact with with the second one, right? So, I mean, you have, I don't know, when, when you start looking like Dick Godman and Jonathan Bray and even their students now, like Helen Raji in Texas, I mean, there are so many leading figures yeah. in our industry that are so to reach, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if we're talking, I don't know, if we're talking people, let's say that Discover America, Christopher Colomb, like the adventures. I mean, that's like 500 years ago, right? Like, who cares, man? Like, who knows? Yeah. But the, the, these are the people that are making the history on our field, and we really have to have a chance. And and I'm sure everyone in their own right have their mentors, even when you start going international, right? I mean, we're talking like the big world history, but like if I go back to Colombia and something that I'm extremely passionate about, uh, and you see it on my post, I'm extremely proud of the Colombian Geotech Society because I think... Colombia has the natural tendency of being the best geotech lab in the world. I mean, you have the Andes Mountains, extremely active, a lot of seismic. You have a lot of subsidence zones, right? You have the Andes having perpetual snow, but at the same time, you have a country with coasts on the Pacific and the Atlantic at the same time. And, you know, uh, you have Bogota, the place that I... Yeah, Bogota, the place that I was born, is it's a thousand feet thick clay deposit. Wow. I, 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 I learned how to do drain shear strength before I was doing drain shear strength because in Bogota, everything was drain shear strength, right? Everything was, the, the CPT was very famous. The, you know, the, the, the shear vein test was also, it was more common than the SPT. So I think Colombia has the perfect conditions to have a lot of good geotech. And as a result of that, it's a country that provides a lot of great geotechs that some stay in the country, some come outside 
but yeah, so I'm, I'm extremely proud of that. And, and the same the same way, I can say that I have contact with the pioneers of, of Geotech in Colombia. Yeah. So that for me, it's it's great. Like I I I put a I put a picture that I found the other day of uh, my first conference in the U.S. No, my second conference in the U.S., which was in Boston at the MIT. That because of the obvious reason that I was describing of of Terzaghi, right, being there, uh, for me it was awesome to do a presentation there, and it was in a Pan American conference. So yeah. I have a picture after my presentation with like the gurus of the Colombian geotech that came to that conference, right, to the Pan American conference. So yeah, so it's pretty cool. So I, I I'm a how you say that I'm a, I'm a big fan of having these figures and and like seeing the value of them and recognize them and and pass that to the new generations, right. And and the new students, you know, trying to go back and say, hey, look, look the giants that were before us, right? And because we're really just, as the cliche says, we're really just standing on the shoulders of giants. I mean, we're we're continuing what they what they started. And and as I say, I'm I'm very excited with with the current state of affairs in terms, for example, in the US with the research that is done and the professors. I mean, you have Dimitris in in Berkeley yes, and, and Ada and I mean it's just great influence. I mean, I think all the students that passed with them is just you know, it's it's great. I mean, it's great to see that we're in such a great hands. I mean, you have very strong programs in so many universities, right? And and it's like you can go program by program, right? And and you can even see stuff that okay, you have famous programs, right? You have Georgia Tech, you have Illinois, you have all that. But there is other programs, for example, that fascinate me, like the University of Central Florida, right? And it's exploding right now on insane, crazy, awesome research they're doing on karst and ogre cast piles. Wow. And, and they have a direct line to like universities in South America. So it's a lot of people from South America coming and doing PhDs with them. And it's just great to see all that happening, right? And, and obviously these, these people, you know, they finish the program and then they start working for different companies, right? And, and I have plenty of friends that are graduating from there and then they go to Geosyntech, HDR. I mean, it's like they, it's it's awesome to see that then even like the Latino part is yeah. it's having said and 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 I love visiting universities and seeing, you know, how many people from like Central America and South America are coming and and, and of course I mean, you can say the same thing for you if you see how many people from India yeah. comes and and do that. So okay. it is extremely exciting. It's extremely yeah. exciting that we have a like a, an industry that has been so great and the academics are are so good and then the practice is so good because that's just you know it's one is connected to the other one. So yeah. It's it's yeah. a great time to live it. It's a it's a lot of great mentors. So yeah. yeah, definitely embrace the history of the profession. That's that's what I do. Yeah, I think like to just conclude everything you said because it was so insightful. We have a very recent history, but a very deep history, and we're very fortunate to have a lot of current great professors and professionals who are still alive, still running, and it's a very new industry but still old i feel and the best yes. part about it is that it's so connected and it's a small community like you said like we have people from india we have people from Colombia, we have people from china we have people from singapore and everyone just knows each other because it's so small and it's growing and yeah yes. being Berkeley too was like it was eye-opening and i think each and every professor there is doing something amazing and i'm sure at Pitt, at central florida like you mentioned uc davis mm-hmm. too it's it's, UC Davis, yeah. it's the start mm-hmm. of a new, new, new revolutionizing research trend. And we have a and, lot to try to and explore. You know, and, and, and one thing is that you just said and is and it's great. It's you have recent history, you can connect with the with the founders and all that, but at the same time, you can write the history. 
You know what I'm saying? And that's something that for me is extremely exciting. When I started studying uh, geotech engineer back in Colombia, one of my professors told me that statement, which to me, he said, when you are in geotech, you can do a lot of great projects, right? And you can do research. You can do stuff that can influence the future of where we go, right? And, and don't even look at it from the vanity point of saying it, it, it could have your name. It's like it, it could have your equation. No, I mean, don't even think about that. But what I'm saying is you can take the industry to directions that you can have an impact, right? So let me put it this way. Something that I'm extremely passionate about is slope stabilization with the foundations, right? Slope stabilization with the foundations is not something that you have a manual to design, right? I mean, if you are designing MSC walls, if you are designing solid parallel lagging walls, if you are designing anchors, there are manuals for that. You don't have to do, I mean, you just follow codes, which I love codes too, right? I mean, I... I was the co-author for the State of Delaware Bridge Design Manual, which I'm very proud because I love design manuals and I love following them and I love writing them. So, so that was pretty cool about that. But what I'm saying is there are subjects still like slope stabilization with the foundations. There is no manual on that. There is no code. So I have a few papers there that now have been there for a long time. And it's awesome when I do like presentations in South America and then I hear people saying, hey, like we have been using your papers as the, as the, as the, you know, document to follow to do that. So that's pretty awesome. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, that you that you feel that you have made a positive impact, right? Yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily saying I have the Lobo Guerrero equation because I haven't invented any equation. It's a it's a it's a joint effort between many people to have these methods and these equations. So, but it's just awesome to see that you made an impact and and what you're doing goes in a good direction. So, instrumentation you can connect it to that, right? Because yeah. You know, it's changing things and it's absolutely changing projects. So being able to be part of that changes, I mean, it, it makes you feel that you are doing what you set up to do, right? Yeah, it's all about impacting people and helping people at the end. And we have mm-hmm. a big opportunity to do that. And we make sure the foundations for buildings are strong and the landslides are stable. And we have a big role to play. And it's it's a very interesting industry as we go forward. No, I agree. I agree. Yep. So I think that was the last question or topic of discussion. Thank you All so right. much for giving me your time. And it was a great start to trans- Groundbreakers Transforming Geotech. And I'm excited to hopefully have you again in a few years or next year or in a few months. Yes. New trends. Because I feel like this industry is changing so quickly and you get to know everything. And it's a good learning experience every time I talk to you. So no, that- no, absolutely. Absolutely. No, thank you very much for the opportunity. And I mean, I think we we formalized today in a very civilized way, a conversation that we have through a few years, a few weeks ago. So it's nice yeah. to to record it and it's nice to have it like this. And no, and, it, and it's a, it, it, it's great. I really appreciate the opportunity. I, I obviously love doing these kind of things. I think it brings a lot of value. So always, always available for any future collaborations and best of luck with with this podcast and, and I'm sure you're going to go into extremely interesting directions worldwide, right? With all these yes. projects and things that you guys are doing. So I'll definitely be a listener and, and thanks for everything. Thank you. Thank you so much.